Good morning, y'all. My name is John Ziegler, and I'm the pastor here. I should say the proud pastor here at Church of the Incarnation. I am especially proud this morning because you guys were so amazing yesterday at that party. We threw a block party in our parking lot together with our ministry partner, Los Pacinos, the Buford Highway. And our people just showed up and loved on people and served and passed out drinks and popcorn and had fun. And um, I just loved it. And I just love how you guys show up. Almost every week, I've got some kind of song stuck in my head. And this past week, it has been this one from the Beatles. All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love. Love. Love is all you need. This morning, I want to talk to you about the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment. And something that is at the very center of the Christian message, which is love. A few years back, I was pastoring in Los Angeles in a church very similar to ours, but the LA version of it. And about two blocks down the road, there was a much cooler and hipper church than ours. Um, and it had these really nice billboards out front and a really cool buff pastor who is buffer and worked out every day than me. Anyway. Um, why are we even mentioning it? This is irrelevant. Um, <laughs> but he had written this book and had a sermon series about it and was really big on the billboard. And the name of it was Uncomplicated, Faith for the Rest of Us. And uh, I think it was kind of about how, you know, they had simplified the Christian faith and how if you come and read this book and you hear this sermon series, you'll kind of get the idea that uh, faith isn't as complicated as some religious people make it out to be. And I was then tempted to write a book called Complicated. <laughs> How following Jesus in the 21st century Los Angeles is really hard. And why you need a good community to discern faithfulness. Anybody else out there have an unredeemed, uh, snarky, contrarian living on the inside of them? Or is it just me? But really, if we're honest, the Bible is really big and has so many books and so many voices. And we, to further complicate things, we have 2,000 years of church history with the church going in a lot of different directions, right? And so if we're honest, it probably is a little complicated. And wouldn't it be nice if someone would help make it a little less complicated? In our gospel reading today, some Pharisees, so these are Jewish religious leaders, they come to Jesus with the question. And they say, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Because it turns out that the Jewish law has 613 different commandments. And friends, that is pretty complicated. And as one biblical commentator said, with 613 commandments to sort through, some means of assessing their relative importance would be widely appreciated. I agree. And the Pharisees do too. And so I'm thankful that they come up and they ask Jesus, they say, Jesus, would you help make this uncomplicated? Which of these is the most important? To which Jesus responds, all you need is love, love. 
Love is all you need. Only that isn't exactly what he says. And in fact, this morning, we need to take a closer look, especially since our Christian friends, both our Christian friends on the theological left and the theological right, have often taken this verse out of context and have often made it things which it cannot mean. For instance, from the Beatles, I get the sense of a kind of hippie love. And by the way, I'm a big fan of the Beatles, and I'm a big fan of hippies, okay? So I'm not hating this morning. But what I mean by that is love is love is love. You can't really define it. You just know it when you see it. Love is a kind of nebulous, abstract feeling, and it's something that is just relative to personal choice. Some of us love cilantro, and some of us, I don't know why, don't. But what Jesus says is this. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your soul. And this is the greatest and first commandment. And when he says this, he actually isn't talking about something abstract or relative or even a feeling, although it certainly involves our feelings. Jesus is, in fact, quoting something that is very familiar to them. In fact, it's so familiar that they quote it twice a day in their prayers. Jesus is quoting to them the Shema. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6.5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And if you read the rest of Deuteronomy 6 for context, and I encourage you to do so, in that whole chapter, God is reminding the people of what he did for them. How they were slaves in Egypt, and how he rescued them out of slavery. And how he instructed them in his good and beautiful ways, and how he gave them a land to live in. In other words, far from being a vague feeling, God is telling the people to love him in response to the concrete ways that he had demonstrated his love for them in the Exodus. Now, it might surprise some of you this morning, but I'm actually not here to say, hey, I need you to love God better and love your neighbor as yourself just a little better, okay? So just get out there and try a little harder. Actually, the main thing I want you to get this morning is just how deeply loved you are by God. Because that's where this conversation has to start. It has to start with this deep sense that God has loved me. And he has loved you in the most concrete terms imaginable. He came and he lived as one of us, and he suffered all the things that humans suffer, loss and betrayal and humiliation, and he was crucified as the sacrifice for your sins. And so the love that Jesus calls us to give is actually in response to the love that God has showed us 
on the cross. As 1 John 4, 9 says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Friends, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us. Back in my 1990s Pentecostal days, there was an album from uh, Vineyard Worship that was popular in our churches, popularized. I don't know if you guys remember, there was a revival taking place in Brownsville, Florida. And my dad had the tape from that revival. I can remember listening to it in the back of his white Lincoln uh, town car, you know, (laughs) riding around. And the words to this one song about God's love have been sitting with me this week and it says many waters cannot quench your love rivers cannot overwhelm it oceans of fear cannot conceal your love for me many sorrows cannot quench your love and darkness cannot overwhelm it I will not fear your love is here to comfort me Holy love, flow in me. Fill me up like the deepest sea, like a crashing wave pouring over me. Holy love, flow in me. And friends, I want you to know this morning that God loves you with a holy, unquenchable love And my prayer for you this morning is that you would be filled up with the love of God and that you would receive the kindness and the forgiveness and the joy and the radically undeserved acceptance that God offers you this morning. And it turns out that when you are full of God's love and your heart is soaked in it, that this command to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself becomes both a response to and an overflow of God's love poured out into your heart. I'll say that again. The command to love God and your neighbor as yourself, it becomes both the response to and the overflow of God's love poured out into our hearts. Another way to say what I'm saying this morning is that we are a gospel-centered people. (laughs) And that's why it's important to to know that as we approach a verse like this. Because we hear some of our Christian brothers and sisters saying things like, love God, love people. That's what it's all about. And it's like, well, 
the Pharisee did not come up to Jesus and say, what is the central tenet of the Christian faith, right? He asked Jesus, what is the most important commandment of the Jewish law? And what I want to remind you this morning is that we're a gospel-centered people. And that all the commandments are important. Of course, this commandment to love God and love people is so central to what we're doing here. But at the very center of our faith is not a commandment. It's a story. It's a good news announcement. It's the gospel. It's that God created us in the image of love. And that when we had failed to love uh, God with our whole heart, and when we had failed to love our neighbor as ourself, God so loved us that he sent his one and only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And so is the command to love God and love neighbor still important? Absolutely. But it is in believing the gospel that we are set free to become lovers. So Jesus began by quoting Deuteronomy 6.5, the command to love God. And then while he's at it, he throws in a bonus. The Pharisees actually didn't ask him what the second greatest commandment was, but he's like, while we're here, let me just throw in one for you. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in saying that, he is quoting Leviticus 19.18. I'm going to give you a little Bible reading tip. This is really helpful. If ever you're reading the Bible, especially in the New Testament, and they're quoting the Old Testament, often you can go back to that passage and read the whole passage, and it will illuminate what you're reading there in the New Testament and fill in details that might be missing. And if we go into Leviticus 19, we read there are all kinds of commandments surrounding it that fill in what the love of neighbor looks like. They include things like this, administering justice to the poor, not hating people you are related to. You get, God had to say it for a reason, all right? <laughs> not slandering. Not bearing a grudge. And something that I found interesting in this passage, it also includes the command, you shall reprove your neighbor. In other words... The love that God demands requires you to point out to your neighbor when your neighbor is living incorrectly or doing something wrong. Friends, this isn't hippie love. This isn't live and let live kind of love. This also isn't southern face-saving niceness. I just said that. This is the kind of love that is expressed in Matthew 18. When Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. And if you are listened to, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if that person refuses to listen, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen, even to the church, let that one be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. In other words, as one that does no longer belong to the church. And I'm just pointing out that this kind of love requires us to get into 
each other's lives. It's the kind of love that is really messy. It's a complicated love because it requires discernment and community. And I think if we're honest, it's the kind of love that a lot of us might want to shy away from. But let's remember the gospel. That God, out of love, entered our mess and he entered your complicated story And it's his love poured into our hearts that enables us to share with those around us his love. By the way, I'm not trying to like dial in into emphasizing reproving your neighbor. I'm just citing these texts just to show you just how granular and how specific and how concrete this kind of love that God is calling the people of God to If you want to see people receiving God's love and responding back with love for him and for each other, you need to look no further than this room. Every Sunday, you'll see people serving in the nursery, loving God and loving their tiny neighbors as themselves. Every Sunday, you'll see people making coffee and passing out bulletins and welcoming strangers as if they were friends. Every Sunday, you'll see people taking some of their hard-earned paychecks that they understand to be expressions of God's love for them, and they love God back and their neighbors by giving in their tithes and offerings. And sometimes we throw parties with our neighbors in the parking lot And these folks show up early and they stay late and they serve the whole time. And it's not just Sundays. These folks are doing it all through the week, every day of the week. This church is a love lab. People are learning to recognize their belovedness and the belovedness of each other. Not every experiment of love in the lab goes as planned, but this is a learning community, and God's love is growing among us. And so if you're here and you're new today, I want to invite you into our love lab. Come be a part of this experiment in love with us. We end our sermons here in silent reflection, asking God to speak to us in the stillness. And as we prepare to reflect, I want St. Catherine of Siena, the 14th century Christian mystic saint, to have the last words. And this quote comes from her book called The Dialogue of Divine Presence. And just like many of us charismatics, she believes she heard this word straight from the mouth of God. I ask you to love me with the same love with which I love you. But for me, you cannot do this, for I love you without being loved. Whatever love you have for me, you owe me. So you love me not gratuitously, but out of duty, while I love you not out of duty, but gratuitously. 
so you cannot give me the kind of love I ask of you. This is why I have put you among your neighbors, so that you can do for them what you cannot do for me, that is, love them without any concern for thanks and without looking for any profit for yourself. And whatever you do for them, I will consider it done for me. Amen.